I started thinking that I wanted to be in politics and to be, you know, in public service. And now I feel like in a sense, I'm still getting to have that experience. It just is, it looks a little different. It was pretty amazing to still have some community even throughout the pandemic, which we were just super fortunate to, you know, it wasn't just my wife and I, it was my wife and I, our kids and our friends. We have a back deck and a front porch and just the ability to still occasionally have people over outside. We had such a lucky experience. I say all that to say like, I also make a case for being really intentional about your community. It, you know, once we get out of this pandemic, because I think a lot of people have realized more and more how important that is. Welcome to this roundtable episode of McDonough Talks. I'm your host, Mike Silverman. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Sam Speed. And today we have Yasi Akbari and TJ Fleming. Yasi is a workforce digital strategy and organizational transformation manager at PwC. She specializes in assisting organizations in developing and executing impactful change. She's pursuing an MBA at Georgetown, focusing on corporate development and non-market strategy. At Georgetown, she serves as the MBA Flex Program Student Government President, and she's passionate about people, politics, and professional excellence. TJ has experience in education, agriculture, winemaking, entrepreneurship, and real estate finance. He has an insatiable appetite for continuous learning, relationship building, personal development, and delivering value. He too is pursuing his MBA at Georgetown as a flex student, and he's seeking a career at the integration point of real estate, finance, environmental sustainability, technology, and venture capital, private equity. Before we introduce Yasi and TJ, I want to bring in Sam. Sam, welcome back to the show. Since we uh, have been on a little hiatus, you have been across one ocean and back and started your internship. So I just wanted to ask you about all those happenings in the world of Sam Speed. Absolutely. I made the uh, I made the pilgrimage back home for a stag do, which is what we call a bachelor party over there in the UK. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It's a it's a it's a kid I went to school with. I've known him since I was nine. Uh, I think if I didn't know him so well, I definitely wouldn't have put myself through that <laughs> because, uh, yeah, the 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 quarantine. That's asking a lot. Yeah, the 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 quarantine measures and the and the testing. It's it's all it's all kind of a lot. Not to mention, yeah, my my girlfriend's still working full time, so you know she was having to work on a different time zone. It's all it's all quite exhausting. I say all of this, and I'm actually going going back uh, next Friday for the wedding um, because uh, yeah, I'm a groomsman. So I'm going to be there for a slightly more condensed wedding. Uh, UK regulations means you can only have 30 people there for a wedding. Oh um, wow! But I'm still involved. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's been good. As you say, also I've started my internship at MuleSoft, which is which is a Salesforce company. As listeners of the show will know, uh, yeah, it's been really good. It's it's my second week. Uh, the first week was really getting onboarded to, you know, Salesforce culture, unboxing all the swag that they sent me. They sent me like a t-shirt and, and uh, sweatpants, uh, and a, a gym ball, like an exercise ball, which I'm in badly, <laughs> badly in need of. <laughs> um, uh, they sent me like a Salesforce branded picnic rug, which was really sweet. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been awesome. And now, yeah, as I say, second weekend, really getting to grips with my project, which has been awesome getting to know my manager, getting to know the team there. Yeah, I'm, re I'm really happy with it. Really pleased. All Salesforce all the time. They they can't let you forget. 
yeah, I've been get, getting really good mileage out of my sliders. I didn't own a pair of sliders before. <laughs> um, yeah, they were definitely part of like the London summer uniform <laughs> a couple of years ago. Like the Gucci sliders um, <laughs> were, were like what everyone had. I know I never had a pair myself, but yeah, feels feels good. What are sliders? So sliders, for people who aren't aware, they're kind of like flip flops. But if you imagine instead of the like weird kind of angular quite sharp bit of rubber that goes between your toes you just have a strap that goes over the top of your foot ah, so it's not a thong it's like uh uh yes it's like yeah. a shower sandal i know exactly what you're talking Absolutely, about yeah it's a it's a yeah. strap rather than a thong as you say yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very cool and so yeah so the work's going good you're enjoying it all's all's well there it's going well, man. It's like, do you know what? I think the the difference with a with a company like Salesforce, look, t- to begin with, they're all in in the culture side of things anyway, which means they are like doubling, tripling down on making sure that you really soak up the culture in a virtual environment. So they, you know, part of this, you know, the swag that they're sending me is, is really to do with making you feel like you're part of the company and really making you feel that your experience is as valid in a virtual environment as it would be if you were in person. So yeah, you know, they're pulling out all of the stops in that regard. Um, and the people are just so friendly. You know, there are intern happy hours like twice a week. There are networking opportunities. And the project itself is just is, is super interesting. So, yeah. Are you in person? I'm not in person, no. So my hiring manager is based out of New York. The Salesforce MuleSoft office is open in New York if you want to go join. Like no one's under any obligation to go and work from there. But um, I've got like tentative plans to go up to New York just work with my manager up there for a couple of days and like just get some FaceTime in, which I think everyone kind of wants. I mean, I certainly want it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you've been on the project for, for, for a week and what's the project like, what's the, what's it about? And do you find like, so some of my feeling rolling onto my project on Monday is a little bit of apprehension, like a little bit of imposter syndrome, not really knowing what to do. Like, is there any of that sense for you so far or what just, Tell me a little bit about the project. Absolutely. So so the project is all about basically auditing a new program that they rolled out, uh, which is designed to optimize how they work with partners. So MuleSoft provides systems, integrations, and digital transformation products to customers. And the demand for those kind of products is really outstripping the kind of resource and headcount they can put in to really making those integrations happen. So MuleSoft rely a lot on partners to help those integrations happen. And I'm in a sales strategy and operations role. What I'm really and what I'm really doing is understanding what's going so well with that program and not what's not working so well from an internal stakeholder perspective. In my experience, my background, I was, you know, I was a frontline seller. Uh, ad tech firms at Yahoo and Verizon and at Twitch. And I was working with internal stakeholders in operations and sales and account management uh, in teams, you know, in India, in Dublin, in London. So I have a, I, I have kind of a little bit of experience understanding what it means to consolidate and work with different teams and understanding how different members engage with each other in the context of a specific project. So I'm able to take my experience from, from those firms and kind of look at what Millsoft's operations um, are and, uh, you know, seeing if there's buy-in, seeing if, you know, this program is really just like a box ticking exercise or if it's something that people really like feel they have skin in the game with. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just been, it's been really, it's been really fun. I think there definitely is like a lot of imposter syndrome, but I think you just have to like, white knuckle it, ride the lightning, know that right. you're good enough, know your value, know that you were hired for a reason and just 
put your honest input into the project and you know i think if you do that you're going to be all right and maybe if you're not you won't get hired but, you know it's it's going to be an it's going to be an honest outcome either way awesome well great to have you back great to be back with you and uh we will now turn to yasi and tj hey mike and sam it's so great to be here with you guys thanks so much for having me on today hey mike and sam happy to be on i've been really looking forward to this conversation so Thanks for having me on, and I'm excited to dive in and be on here with Yasi. Yasi, let's start with you. I want to talk to you about PwC. You're there full-time while you're enrolled in the Flex program at Georgetown, and I just want to learn more about your experience there. Yeah, so my day-to-day lately has been all about helping orgs figure out how to bring people back to work. Um, People don't want to come back to work. I know it's crazy. After like, Yeah, like, I mean, think about it like this, like, majority of us who do sort of like back office work, if you will, or aren't like frontline on anything, like we've been able to do everything from the comfort of our homes for now, what, 15, 16 months. And it's going to be, it's going to be a transition getting back to whatever the next thing is, whether that's like some balance of in-person time and like work from home time, or some organizations are like, you're going to come back five days a week. And so it's, yeah, it's a lot of time spent kind of talking you know, C-suite planners off the ledge from calling all their employees back and like requiring them to get vaccinated. Can I ask, Yazi, in your experience, are C-suite level uh, stakeholders yeah. similarly reluctant to return to the to the office? Or I would it- say it's actually the opposite. Um, and, it, and it really comes down to culture. If you think about, you know, why a lot of organizations were super successful during the pandemic, it was because they had this kind of groundwork that was already laid for them. Most of their employees had really interacted with each other in person and had that FaceTime that is really hard to replicate in a virtual environment. And so when you already have that sort of rapport built with your team, transitioning into a virtual environment is not as hard. Where we're seeing a lot of challenges is organizations are having to kind of bring on a lot of new talent because right now the the war for talent for college educated people is like at its height and attrition is really high because people want you know flexibility they want better compensation and there's all these factors at play that are forcing orgs to like think about hey how do we how do we like transition to a new normal in an effective way and so what i'm hearing a lot is this anxiety that well if i let my employees work remotely forever slowly that culture that we've built as an organization is going to kind of start to fall apart and it's not going to be the same you know company that it once was and i i challenge them to say that you know you get to define what you want the future to look like you get to define how you want to source you know university talent people who are like in their early 20s and really want that flexibility um and you can balance that with you know some of the more traditional office like structures that used to be in place i think the purpose of the office has changed so much it's no longer a place where people are going to come in and just like sit and stare at Excel spreadsheets all day. It's going to be very tactful and thoughtful time where, you know, you have teams working together maybe one or two days a week and the rest of the time is kind of spent at home doing your heads down tasks. Interesting. So my my background was always at like quite kind of cushy US tech companies. So I was at Yahoo and then we were acquired by Verizon, but they kept, love it. It was like big bean bags in the breakout room. It was playing beer pong on a Friday after meetings were done. And then I went to Twitch, which was similar. And I would spend all of like Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening, Friday afternoon, Friday evening playing Apex Legends, which is a really fun 
online <laughs> on like battle royale game with like my manager and my like director of sales so i've like i was kind of reared in a workplace which is kind of what you're talking about right now which is not a place where i would just stare at spreadsheets all day but was really a place where i could like commune and have fun so it's interesting to hear you say that that's kind of the bargain that c-suite people are now making to get their employees back and it's i think that's a good yeah. thing i think that's a good thing yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, like, and the more you hear about like large tech companies and how they're approaching it, that kind of approach of flexibility is like cascading even into industries where you don't, you can't do your job yeah. like offsite. Um, and in those scenarios, you've got companies saying, okay, well work your 80 hours and then get every other Friday off or work four 10 hour days, take Fridays off. So it's just like figuring out what kind of business model works for a specific organization and, and just kind of running with it. And there's always going to be hiccups no matter what. Um, I mean, I think about like how hard it's been for me working virtually with clients across all different time zones, you know, waking up at like 4.35 a.m. for conference calls with teams in India, for example. And like, that's so challenging. But these teams have been doing that forever. And so now it's just about learning how to manage your time and manage your, your own flexibility too. This is a question for both of you guys. So so you guys started in 2020? 2019. 2019. Yeah. Yep. I actually remember meeting TJ at orientation at the Black Olive. Oh, you were, I don't, look, I forget a lot from that, <laughs> that whole time. I, yes, we, the Black Olive is a, is a legend. I, I think I went, I think that year in particular, things things stayed pretty late having fun out there. I, I had to turn in, you know, my as a dad, I'm now just really boring. You know, I can't stay out past 11 anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so like my question is for you guys, I'm presuming you guys had full-time jobs coming into the Flex program. You guys had business experiences. Why pursue an MBA while you have all this great practical business experience and hands-on business experience? So, I mean, I kind of decided to get my MBA as a classic career switcher. I've been in DC, my wife and I, for about 10 years. And uh, yeah, we're, we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary this summer, which is exciting. Um, Congrats. But we, I came up, I was a science teacher for a few years. While I was a, a science, middle school science teacher, I met this guy who's in the C-suite at a vaccine company in the area. And, you know, we ended up building a winery over seven years. Uh, it's called Rockland's Farm. It's, it's in Poolsville, Maryland. And so I was the founding winemaker there. I applied my kind of science knowledge and just work ethic to help grow the company and the team and the product line. And so, you know, I basically decided I didn't want to do that forever. And my boss said, you should go get your MBA. So I and I kind of caught the the real estate bug as far as investment in the finance side of real estate really appealed to me. It's, you know, real estate consumes 40% of the energy in the world every year. And there's just, I'd done some studies on sustainability in undergrad of the built environment. So, uh, you yeah, know, that was kind of my goal. And yeah, basically I had no credentials <laughs> to get hired at a real estate shop, uh, institutional investment shop. And so, you know, it made sense to go back and get the MBA. And I particularly chose the Flex program because real estate in particular likes you to have some experience in that field to get hired, you know, out of school. And so I thought it would be a good idea to find a gig at a at a real estate company while I was in school, which I ended up doing for a couple of years. Um, and that was a good experience. I worked at an office developer for almost two years. But then, like I mentioned, you know, after my son was born in December and 
it, now that I have two children and I'm <laughs> trying to finish up this MBA and, you know, network for the next thing after school, I just kind of decided to leave that, that firm and, and kind of focus on finishing out the MBA strong. And yeah, but originally the reason was w- for the flex program was just to kind of get some more years of experience in the traditional business world as well. Cause I was more coming from a startup winery, which, you know, gotcha. <laughs> a lot of employers are like, okay, <laughs> you are a winemaker. <laughs> Why do you want to, you know, be a real estate investor or, you know, a consultant, et cetera. Cool. Yasi, how about you? This is such a hard question. Cause like, I don't have a good answer for it. Honestly, I always loved school and at some point, like in my undergrad, like school kind of became not about learning and more about just graduating. And so when I came out of school, I was so unclear. Like I did my bachelor's at the University of Michigan, moved to LA right out of college and actually worked at Oracle, which opened like a second headquarters in Santa Monica. So I got to be part of like that inaugural experience. And it was really cool. Very similar to what Sam was describing about like, you know, all the all the bar games and stuff that people would just like play in the middle of the day. And I was like doing a rotation program. Like I was spending time in sales, marketing, all the various like functions. And I kind of just like, it wasn't it. And so, you know, I came over to PwC, like, and started focusing on tech-enabled transformation, more so on the people side. Like, how do you prepare people to do their jobs differently? Like, how do you train, like, a boomer to use an iPad, basically? Excuse my generalization. But, and at some point during that time, I was kind of like, I just want to learn so much more about operations, finance, and, like, all of the different tenants that go into successful businesses. And I've always seen myself as somebody that would like, you know, keep pushing on to the next level, like whether that's to make partner at the firm or go be a C-suite somewhere else. And having an MBA kind of initially in my mind was like a check the box item. And then as I started looking at programs, I was like, the thing that's really missing in my life is this global exposure, which is a big part of the value proposition for going to Georgetown because we've got such a diverse student body people coming from so many different countries with so many different backgrounds and like they've worked in other countries and I haven't. And I really wanted to have that experience of like being surrounded by people who think totally differently than I do. And it's been amazing, honestly. So I I think maybe when I started the MBA program, I was kind of like, oh, I want to maybe open up my options. Maybe I'll go back into tech. Maybe I'll kind of go specialize and work at an aerospace company because I love that. And now I'm kind of like, I just want to augment my skills and just be the best at whatever it is I'm doing and have this really clear core background based in global business that I can cascade through whatever industry or client I support, you know, at the firm. So it's been an awesome, I guess, two years almost. And I'm pretty sad that the last, you know, long bit of it was virtual. But um, the cool thing about Georgetown is like the relationships that I I have here, like some of my best friends are are there and I get to spend time with them, you know, even if it's not in person virtually, it's it's really fulfilling. If you didn't have an answer before, I think I think you just found it. That, was, that makes <laughs> sense. I mean, I get it for sure. That's yeah. all good. Yeah, back to TJ. Like, how do you so you got a lot going on in your life? How how do, how do you make it work, man? Like that sounds insane. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I don't and and don't scare any other prospective MBA students that have similar demands in their life. <laughs> well, make it seem um, like uh, it's a good move. Yeah, I mean, 
well, part of the busyness is, is our own fault. We we decided to have a COVID baby, which in hindsight, you know, maybe we should have originally stuck to our original timeline. But, you know, I think for me, it's like all about just scheduling. My wife's been amazing, you know, taking care of the kids on the weekends, you know, let me go to a happy hour on top of the whole, you know, sometimes she'll do bedtime three or four times uh, a week. So basically my wife is letting me <laughs> figure my life out and professional life out. Obviously I think, you know, it's manageable. Uh, you got to have a good support structure in your life though. It, it, it would be really hard to do it all. You know, if I was like a single parent or, you know, my wife had a crazy job, she's, she's got a good job and can leave at 5.30 and not think about it till the next day. It's a team, right? You're, you're, it's a you team, and your wife yeah. got to work yeah. together to make it work, for sure. Additionally, we actually have housemates that are our kids' godparents, and so they, oh, they've cool. also been very helpful. So, yeah, I mean, I am being lifted up by not just my wife, but a couple other people, too. Very cool. TJ, you touched on this a little bit ago. So you started the Flex program with a job, getting experience in real estate. And then you left, and now you have an internship this summer. So I wanted to learn more about your internship experience and how have you liked it so far, and do you see that as an option for once you graduate? Yeah, so, I mean, like I mentioned, I'm doing the the venture capital prop tech you know, kind of startup. We're starting up a fund and at the seed stage level. And uh, basically, I thought after that couple of years at the office shop, um, first of all, I was never really that interested in office real estate. You know, there's tons of different asset classes of real estate investment. And I just kind of wanted to get into the industry, right? So especially after my son was born and after I'd been there a couple of years, I thought, you know, I'm going to just take that time and network and see if I can eventually get a better real estate job in that field where I want to be. And eventually, you know, I kind of started thinking more like, well, I helped start a business. One of the reasons I wanted to go to business school was to get a better understanding of the capital markets and business, you know, growth. Basically, this internship was a perfect way for me to stay in real estate, but also get that experience. So, you know, if I still want to be on the investment side at a real estate fund, my internship aligns to that somewhat, you know, whereas I could also decide to go you really try to be an associated venture capital fund. And so this internship applies to that too. So it was really kind of a flexible internship, uh, getting a lot of broad experience and getting to meet a lot of people in the VC world as well that I hadn't really been able to do thus far at Georgetown. So hopefully that answers your question, but the breadth of yeah. experience was what I was mostly interested in. Cool. And it's been going well so far? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we started a little early, you know, we're just running due diligence. We've seen what we've probably done some quick takes at like 26 different companies you know a couple of them are making them into our next stage of the screening process so we're starting to run more due diligence and yeah just getting to work with kind of c-suite level investors that are now kind of looking to give back and teaching us as MBA, you know, summer associates as well as looking to invest in the founders of the businesses is just a unique experience to get. Yasi, TJ touched on a little bit of his history. I want now want to touch on a little bit of your history, going from radio, the House of Representatives, marketing, Oracle, and now consulting in PwC. I think you've 
checked pretty much every industry <laughs> box there is. How I did, try. How did, how did that <laughs> long and winding road take place? So, you know, I guess I'm relatively young for the MBA class. I'm actually 26. And so I've, I've in terms of professional experience, I've spent the bulk of my time either in tech or industrial products. When I was in college, I actually studied political science and public policy because I had this pipe dream that I was going to go work on the Hill and, you know, change the world and just be one of those people that really kind of stands up for the little guy and everything I do. And, you know, somewhere along the way, I kind of started to feel so, I guess, dissuaded with the state of society and like how politics operates here and abroad and, and really sort of came to the realization that impacting social good can be done from the private sector. A lot of what I do today is actually focused on like helping organizations figure out how to reskill talent. You know, we hear all about like digital transformation and the digital divide and how, you know, we've got this large portion of the talent, you know, workforce that just doesn't have the skills they need to remain employable in five to 10 years. And it's really hard to like step out of the bubble of like being in an MBA program and just, it's like you have to really go and spend time with these organizations and people and, and whatnot to understand that like the experience that I've had as like a, an educated, you know, college grad school educated person is totally different than, you know, a lot of blue collar employees across the world. And so like, how do we as an as a society stay responsible for making sure that we're giving them the skills and the you know toolbox that they need to be successful with the ever-changing economy and just global digital um, transformation and so i feel like in this role like helping orgs think about upskilling from everything from like industrial manufacturing to just like back office finance like I'm accomplishing what I wanted to accomplish when I was, you know, 15 and wanting to work in a, in a Senate office because I'm still touching on that core, just like res responsibility for humanity, I guess. Mm. And so, so the sh that was a really long answer, but the short answer is I started thinking that I wanted to, to be in politics and to be, you know, in public service. And now I feel like in a sense, I'm still getting to have that experience. It just is, it looks a little different. Right. What's been your favorite stop along your career tour? Definitely this one. I, I am PwC proud through and through. And I think as you spend more time at the firm, um, you'll see what I mean, but it is such an awesome place to work. I've had people who for no reason other than just that they care about me and like my development have spent so much time coaching me, giving me opportunities that I probably wouldn't get at like any big corporate organization and constantly pushing me. And like whenever things go well in my career, I like have to step back and remind myself that I'm here because of all of the people that lifted me up and that it's my responsibility to really lift up the next generation of people too. Cool. Yeah, my first week at PwC has been great. Um, yeah, tell me about it. So which practice were you interning in? Uh, DDV, the deal okay, delivering awesome. value. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think there's going to be some OWT overlap uh, with my project. Cool. Um, yeah, week one was all onboarding, learning the systems and whatnot. Lots of training videos and, yeah. and the such. But um, yeah, everyone's great. Uh, networking and I can echo what you said you know it, it's like a 
it it kind of reminds me of Georgetown in the sense of you know the community, the support, and really trying to help everyone just become better in all senses or all sense of the word. Yeah, I've got a couple interns coming on board one of my project teams tomorrow, and it's just so exciting to like really be part of that experience. Obviously, it's a lot more fun in person, but um, not to say that that's not going to be you know the next thing. So you'll have to definitely keep me tuned in on how things are going throughout the, uh, For sure. you can, you can send me a Google chat message Google now. Chat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right it's on. kind of funny. It's like, I think we're one of the only like large corporate orgs that uses the Google suite in the way that we really? do. It's like very techy of us, honestly, everybody else I know uses like teams and whatever. And I'm just like Google through and through. So good work PwC on that one. <laughs> my, my actual project team is on teams. So there's, I, I've noticed a lot of crossover. It's not like, you know, the firm is pushing certain things, but I'm getting the sense that different teams operate in different ways and, and, and use different platforms. So that flexibility is nice too, I think. Salesforce used the whole G Suite as well. And I'm just so pleased to not be using Zoom for my internship as well. I don't know. Like, I don't I don't really care about, you know, the specifics of the functionality of Zoom. I just, I think I would just be so bummed out if I was clicking, like, join <laughs> Zoom like I was for the entire internship. Like I was during yeah. the MBA program. That's yeah. so real. Yeah, for, for real. Yeah. Zoom fatigue is so real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do think, though, um, in my opinion, my humble opinion, Zoom is way better than Google Meet. <laughs> really? I yes. Must Google hot take. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I, that maybe is a hot take. Yeah. yeah. I I tend to agree with you, Michael. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I haven't done enough Google Meets to to have a sample size, but I, I'm a Zoom fanatic. I guess I don't know. I might be missing something, but I, Google Meets is just super limiting, in my opinion. Like, you can't do nearly as much stuff as you can in Zoom. Is Google Meets different to Google Hangouts? Because I'm using Hangouts at work at the moment. Oh, maybe. I yes, don't know. it is. It is? Okay. You guys got to get on the Hangouts. Okay. Yeah. So um, I just want to, I just want, I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I really, really miss being in an office. And I can't wait for the moment when we're not discussing zoom versus google meets anymore Sam, i'm with i'm with you right. i can't imagine doing this for the rest of my life like Br bring the beer pong I mean, back right but like it's also just depressing like and no one really i mean people talk about it but not really in a corporate setting like how hard it is mentally to like wake up and walk from one room to another and just start working all day yeah. like that's the one thing that i think like the line between personal life and like professional life is gone because your whole life is in one location. Um, and I think a lot about like young people who have been like living in just small apartments since the beginning of the pandemic and like their transition into this experience has been really hard. And like, we need to talk about that more. It's really important to think about like health and wellness and, and why having that in-person component of work is so critical, even if it's just to get people out of their houses. Yeah. I, I prefer a mix of both. I think extremes are bad. And I think having the option or the flexibility to be wherever you want to be, I think is nice to have. Yeah, it's interesting. Having uh, We were able, because we live with people, it was pretty amazing to still have some community even throughout the pandemic, which we were just super fortunate to, you know, it wasn't just my wife and I, it was my wife and I and our kids and our friends. And so like, 
and we have a couple a back deck and a front porch and just the ability to still occasionally have people over outside was just a great i mean we had such a lucky experience getting to some of the stuff you were talking about yasi of just the being alone and just working and yeah it's i say all that to say like i also make a case for being really intentional about your community you know once we get out of this pandemic because i think a lot of people have realized more and more how important that is so not isolating yourself you know and, and practicing sort of intentional community building is i think super important and i think people have really understood the value of that as the pandemic has gone on tj that's such a good point i mean community is vital and we all need that and speaking of community yasi you are one of the leaders of the georgetown communities flex program why and how did that come about for you to want to take that on as sga president yeah great question so when i first started the program like nobody wanted to be our cohort rep <laughs> and so i kind of was like okay i'll do it <laughs> um and same, i, I same, really same for my cohort <laughs> yeah i enjoy being in leadership roles like I, I i like it because i like the chance to just get to know everybody on a personal level and i think it it keeps me honest about like do i genuinely feel close like do i know what's going on in you know all 60 people's lives or whatever to some extent where i can like have that human connection and like you know, learn from them. Yeah. And so I spent like the first year I was in the program as cohort rep and it was just such a fulfilling experience. And then my predecessor, Ashby Manson reached out to me and was like, Hey, I think you'd be really good at this role. Like, let's talk about maybe you running for, for president. And at first I was like, I don't know. Like <laughs> I literally work like 80 hours a week. Like I've got this whole program and like just got a dog during the pandemic and just like a lot going on. I just got engaged a couple of months ago. Like I'm planning a wedding. There's just a lot going on for everyone. And so I was like a little hesitant, but she really highlighted for me the importance of being a leader right now. It is so easy for us to just accept that we can't change anything because we're in a global pandemic. But there are so many things about the Georgetown experience, about the MBA experience, programming, curriculum. Like there's just so much that we can influence the students. And like, I wanted to be a voice for my peers because I think, you know, they're making a huge time and resource investment in this experience. And it's important to get the best of it. And in parallel, like, I just think it's really helped me become more fearless, like as a person and really helping me, um, helping prepare me for the next level of my career too, because there's just so much to think about all the time. We had some, uh, you know, experiences with the global business experience, for example, where, you know, the university was kind of like, I think we're going to just do it virtual for your class. And I'm like, absolutely. We are not doing it virtually. <laughs> like we are going to, you guys are going to have to give us an opportunity to go abroad, you know, next spring, if the situation permits, and let's just like work together to figure out what that could look like. Yeah. So the most awesome part about it has been just like being a voice for students, but also hearing about like what students are going through. So many of my classmates lost their jobs at the beginning of COVID. Like that's a real thing people are going through. And being able to like help as a sort of connector between them and sort of other resources in the university, it like it it's important. And, you know, I would want somebody who was pushing for me. So I want to be that person for others. Is it a requirement as part of the flex program to have a full-time job? Like if someone lost their job and that is a requirement, how'd that all shake out? 
That's a really good question, actually. I don't think it's a requirement to have a full-time job, but it is a requirement to be at least actively seeking employment, probably. And I think a lot of students who had that happen to them started to think about like potentially moving into full-time cohorts to like wrap the program early or, you know, just kind of getting creative about like what the experience could be for them. Um, I've, we have a lot of peers who are actually graduating at the end of the, at the end of the fall now, just because like with the flexibility that, you know, um, virtual classes offered, they've been able to like knock out credits faster. I'm, I'm of the other boat where I'm trying to stay here as long as possible <laughs> and like, be in person and like actually enjoy myself. But you're on the five year um, plan. <laughs> I'm trying to be on the 10 year plan, TJ. Like I love Georgetown through and through. I, Obviously my pocket too. doesn't, but I do. <laughs> yeah. TJ, great. you may have some insight on that question as a, uh, you know, someone who was well, yeah, going through I mean, career changes. So I actually, I mean, I never thought I was going to get an MBA until I was sitting with my boss at the winery and telling him I had to quit. Cause so 2018 was the worst growing season on record for grapes. Cause it was the wettest year on record in this area. And basically I, I was already sort of done kind of with the manufacturing business. And, you know, that's all winemaking really is at the heart of it. And, you know, he was like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I just, I'm done. Cause I had been driving like two hours a day commuting for like seven years. And I, yeah, there was just so many reasons. And so, you know, he encouraged me to get my MBA and, you know, I knew we were going to be having a child and I basically wanted the income. So I decided to do the part-time program, but then, you know, going coming into a new, I basically took some entry level roles in real estate. And so, you know, the program office, like, yeah, you, you can definitely do that. You don't have, we're not going to kick you out of the program if you don't have a full-time job and, aren't actively seeking one, but I, I think generally they want you to either have a full-time job or be seeking one. And unless you sort of have extenuating circumstances, like sort of I did. That's, that's good to know that the program office was flexible, you know? And yeah. And like, I think, you know, if, if you come in, you think at a certain point, if you're flex and decide you want to quit your job, they'll want you to do full time. But since I'm already two thirds of the way done with the program and fall recruiting is about to start, you know, in a few months, they were sort of like, yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Is the winery still going strong? Rockland? Oh, yeah. Rockland's Farm Winery. Yeah, we I was able um, I was actually able to help hire my replacement. I, I kind of stayed on, you know, for another six months after I'd had that conversation and was able to kind of do a slow, a slow retirement, I guess you would say from winemaking. And uh, yeah, they're still going strong. I don't know if you guys did the strategy case on the winery. Out in the Sandlands, winery. Sandlands. Sandlands. Yeah. So basically I was that dude. Let's just put it that way. I was that dude. And so we, you know, we I was him, except it wasn't my money, but you know, we, we were running those higher margins for a boutique winery. We made really good wine for the area, but yeah, at the end of the day, you know, I'm driving out all over the, the mid-Atlantic region looking for grape contracts, and, you know. So you didn't grow the grapes. I did. I, we did. had we had installed some grapes, and then we also had contracts um, gotcha. as well. So um, it's very difficult to grow enough grapes to meet your commercial demand. That We had trouble. So then there were other wineries growing more grapes, you know, two to three hours from here that didn't have the market we had for sales that we're willing to sell. But then you, you had to filter out the junk. You know, 95% of grapes being sold in this market are junk. 
might as well make vinegar with them. But really, Interesting. well, yeah, I mean, maybe that's maybe it's more than 80%. But if you're a grower and you have a winery, you're going to keep all your best grapes and sell the worst, right? So you got to basically have, make relationships with growers that have all good grapes and they don't have enough ability to sell in person at the higher margins to make it cost effective to process all those grapes into wine. So that was like a three to four year process to get those contracts sort of in place. Why did you, so I'm, I'm guessing you went to school to learn how to become a winemaker. So, and then... well, I, <laughs> I did it at first. And then as, after we had a little bit of MVP success with the wine we made, my boss said, you should probably get a little education. Oh, so I did the online program through UC Davis, California, which is kind of like, you know, the Harvard of winemaking, if you want to say that. The Mid-Atlantic isn't the Napa Valley, right? Like, why why, <laughs> yeah, no, why would you want to be here as opposed to, like, you know, the best place to make wine? So that was actually part of the reason I, I retired from winemaking. I knew that if I was going to grow my career as a winemaker, I would need to leave. And even more importantly than just location was the fact that there's only so many, you know, world-class wine regions right so it wasn't that i would have to move but it would be like my career is only tied to these five or six locations for the rest of my life and so i was basically like i need to go back to get my mba and kind of reskill and basically i I think yasi was mentioning how she saw the private sector businesses as an agent to change that you know is perhaps better or more efficient than than government or legislation and and so i kind of grew up in not a business minded family or you know entrepreneurship wasn't sort of taught to me at, at an early age and so through the growing of the business of the winery i became very you know excited about private sector business as a way to change things and our mission was uh, feed nourish engage and practice holistic agriculture both for environmental purposes but also society building purposes and you know basically uh, i wanted an MBA made sense because now I understand, you know, how to capitalize a business properly so you can actually affect change in the way you want to, right. um, you know, or I end up helping other people do that through either venture capital or, you know, growing people's money in real estate, you know, in an efficient way that, you know, as real estate is seeing more and more of an ESG focus every quarter now, it's becoming more and more of an issue as all of us are you know, realizing the impacts of climate change that I, you know, a decade ago, I was learning about in under, undergrad and becoming passionate about. So did you always have your eye on Georgetown or how did you pick out Georgetown to, to attend? No, no, I, I, I applied to Georgetown because it was the best MBA in this area. And I wasn't going to move to do it, go get my MBA because of the community we have here. And I may move after school, but it just didn't make sense to move for an MBA at the time. And you know, Georgetown was the best school. And on top of that, it was the best real estate focus track, like our steer center for global real estate. I don't know if anyone listening is going to be interested in real estate finance, but, you know, we have an amazing steer center for global real estate run by Matt Seifer uh, and Jim Reed and George Jonas and, you know, tons of high level uh, C-suite you know, manager type people are involved in the steer center. And so, just amazing opportunities to network with people all over the world in, in real estate finance. So that was kind of why I chose Georgetown. 
is that what makes the steer center so good? Just the connections that it could open up? I would say so. In addition to just being incredibly active with sort of programming and coursework and opportunities to do case competitions or like, you know, Matt Cypher's really driven to make Georgetown like the best real estate MBA in the country. Yeah, I highly recommend anyone, you know, try out, even if they just want to take one real estate class, I think they'll learn a ton because uh, um, just a lot of awesome professors in addition to to Matt. I uh, so r- real estate is just not a it's it's not a career track that I've in my career like ever had anything anything to do with. I've, I've had friends that I went to school with who've gone into that in London, but it's so interesting to hear you talk about it in the context of Georgetown and talk about you know the networking opportunities that there are at the Steer Center. Yeah, is it is it, is it something that you had always wanted to go into? Is it something that you had family members in? So my grandfather uh, was a commercial real estate broker in Miami for forty years, forty five years. But that's like sale, you know. Brokerage is sales, not really investment. But you know, he he ended up having some investment properties. But it wasn't really. He didn't like teach me about real estate growing up. You know, that wasn't really. He taught me how to fish. You know, and he like we went on vacations together. But he wasn't like trying to groom me to be a real estate person. So not really. I, I got first really involved with it in my undergrad. I did a, a, my thesis was on sustainable home building in particular. And then I ended up getting admitted into architecture school after undergrad and decided not to go. And we moved up here instead to the DC area. But basically as a result of the sustainability side and the design side, I'd always been fascinated in, in real estate. You know, the built environment in general, and that's where the winery, building the winery was awesome for that, at least for the first few years, was awesome for that itch, because we like, we built a production facility, and, and when you're you're creating a vineyard, you're basically creating an agro system that's, you know, it's very light architecture, right? But it's, you're building something physical, and so, um, I've always been fascinated with the physical environment and how it affects everyone's life as they live it. And, and you know, the design side is interesting to me. I'm obviously not super qualified to be a, an architect or an engineer, but real estate is a cool place where that built environment and the financial side of, of real estate all kind of goes in. And, and your, your investment, I mean, real estate investment, you're just thinking about demographic trends, design trends, societal trends it's kind of an intellectual puzzle and so that really appeals to me and then you got to kind of have the the chops to build a model based on all that stuff too and so it's 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 very intellectually stimulating tj thanks so much for sharing your insights into real estate and plugging the steer center here at georgetown mcdonough and yassi thanks so much for taking the time and sharing your insights into pwc and both you guys about what it's like to be a flex student here at georgetown so Thanks again for coming out and taking the time to be with us. We will catch you next time here on McDonough Talks. See you guys later.